right on. The first type of communication we find is called passive communication. I call this one the turtle. Because as soon as things get scary, as soon as things get tense, this type of communicator shrinks back into its shell and doesn't want to have anything to do with the hard conversation. Any passive communicators here today? You see, the funny thing about being a turtle is that you see all these turtles in Louisiana smashed on the side of the road. They thought they were protecting themselves by running away from the communication, running away from the hostility, and they hid in their shell and they got flattened. Passive communicators tend to get run over all the time. Let me give you a couple of signs of passive communicators. Poor eye contact. They won't look you in the eye. They're like. Allows others to infringe upon their rights. They're softly spoken. They allow others to take advantage of them. Passive communicators. The second type of communication is the aggressive communication. I call this one the skunk. Because when he gets threatened. Everybody walks out stinking. You know, you know the, the aggressive communicator. Come on, you can't get a word in edgewise. Come on, somebody. Right? They run the whole conversation. They'll convince you before it's all over with that you did everything wrong and they did everything right. And that wasn't even the truth. You see, aggressive communicators run over passive communicators. Right? <laughs> they run smack dab over them. Aggressive communicators are like bulldozers. They run over people, not caring about their feelings, not caring about their, or even trying to respect them. They just got to say what they got to say. Know anybody like that? I know y'all not, but y'all know anybody like that? A couple signs. They use criticism, humiliation, and domination. Uh, frequent interruptions and failure to listen to others. They're easily frustrated. I love this one. They, 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 you can find them speaking in a loud and overbearing manner. I shared with the first service, I was stuck at Dollar General the other day behind this lady that was fighting with somebody on the phone. And you know those people, they get loud, right? I mean, it doesn't matter. You could be, you could be at, at, at Walmart on the intercon, they're just loud, right? I mean, how many of you know people that just get loud? Come on, we all got loud people in our lives. Surely you're not. Surely. But this lady's just going after. I mean, she's giving somebody the what for. And the whole store is hearing what she's saying. And then her debit card won't work. Her check ain't no good. And I'm standing behind her like, come on, lady. But I know the whole story. By the time it's all over, I know who she was fighting with, what they were fighting about, and that the thing wasn't going to get resolved anytime soon. You ever, you ever get around somebody like that? Loud. That's aggressive communicators. The third type is assertive communication. And this is where we want to be. Listen to me. This is where you want to be. You want to be an assertive communicator. I call this one the owl. Because it's cool, calm, and collected. It doesn't easily lose control. It expresses its feelings and needs in a way that also respects the rights of others. It displays respect for each individual who is engaged in the exchange. Watch this. Here's some signs of an assertive communicator. It listens without interruption. Clearly states needs and wants, stands up for personal rights, and has good eye contact. So watch this. God doesn't want you to get run over all the time. God gave you a voice to speak, but he also gave you two ears to listen. I think maybe he's saying to some of you today, you need to do twice as much listening as you've been doing and a lot less speaking. And then some of you others, he's saying, your mouth is bigger than your ears. You need to speak up. God don't want you to get run over, and he don't want you to do the running over. God wants you to communicate what you're feeling in a healthy way. Because, you see, you've got to understand, that's our relationship with him. He communicates to us with assertive communication. God has never come to me and said, well, you know, um, Jamie, I, I, I'm, you know, I'm just, I don't know how to say this, but uh, um, you hurt my face. God's never done that. God's clear in what he says. He's clear about how he feels about something. Amen? He's assertive. He's going to tell you how it is. And it's going to bring conviction into your life. And it's going to cause you to want to change something. Right? So God's a great communicator. We can all learn from God. Let me give you a story of miscommunication. Because how many of you know miscommunication hurts? Right? You ever been misunderstood? Anybody been misunderstood here today? Once or twice? Okay. 
There's a, there's a story in July of 1945 during World War II. There were leaders from the U.S., the U.K., Russia, and China, and they gave Japan this ultimatum to end the war and retreat, to surrender, to give up, their, the, for their troops to give up. And they said, if you don't, we're going to get really aggressive uh, in what we do. And so the prime minister of, of Japan responds with one word, and it got misunderstood. The one word he said was, was mokusatsu. Which, which literally means silent killer. So they're telling him, you need to surrender, you need to give up, you need to, your troops need to surrender, and his response is silent killer. To which they misunderstood what he was saying because previously he used that word, but he used that word to say no comment. But they took it as silent killer. Ten days later, the U.S. launches the atomic bomb on Hiroshima. And you know what happened. It was when you boil it all down, you can read all kinds of different stories. When you boil it all down, it was miscommunication. Say it hurts. You need to make sure that you're clear in your communication. Amen. So today I want to tackle our first relation slip and it is called conflict. And all of you turtles here today come out of your shell and just listen to what I got to say because I'm going to help you out today. Amen. So all the little turtles come out of the shells, right? It's a safe place. I've heard several people ask many questions about conflict, like, can I avoid it? And the answer is no. You can't run long enough to avoid conflict. It's fast, and it has a lot of stamina. Conflict can run for a long time. Amen? How many of you would say you're like me and you've tried to dodge conflict? Come on, I've tried to avoid it. I don't like conflict. I'll be honest with you, I don't like it. But I've learned how to deal with it because I couldn't outrun it. (laughs) Amen? So today I want to talk to you from the story of Abraham. We're going to be with Abraham and and Isaac today. And I want to show you three points today, but I'm not going to give you some practical tips on how to handle conflict. I really feel like today God wants you to see the heart of how to deal with conflict because you need to have the right heart to deal with conflict. Amen. You can have the points, but without the right heart, it doesn't mean anything. Makes sense. So I want to give you God's heart for conflict today. How many of you say I could hear a message on conflict? Okay, good. All right. So number one, point number one, you need to know the value of the relationships in your life. You need to know the value of relationships in your life, how valuable are your relationships? You see, relationships should be very valuable to you. I want you to go with me to, to Genesis chapter 13. We're going to go all the way back to the beginning and catch up with Abraham, who is now, by the way, called Abram. This is before God changed his name. His name is Abram, and he's left his hometown because God told him to, and he packed up everything he had, and he took off. And we pick the story up in verse 1 of chapter 13. It says, So Abram left Egypt and traveled north into the Negev along with his wife and Lot. Lot is his nephew. He he went along with with Abram, his uncle. And and, and they had and and all that they owned. Uh, From the Negev, they continued traveling by stages toward Bethel. And they pitched their tents between Bethel and Ai where where they had camped before. This was the same place where Abram had built the altar, and there he worshipped the Lord again. Lot, who was traveling with Abram, had also become very wealthy with flocks of sheep and goats, herds of cattle, and many tents. But the land could not support both Abram and Lot with all their flocks and herds living so close together. Here we go. Verse 7, so disputes broke out between the herdsmen of Abram and Lot. Verse 8, finally, Abram said to Lot, let's not allow this conflict to come between us or our herdsmen. After all, we are close relatives. You ought to circle around that. You ought to put an underline or a star next to that because that's where we're going to be at this morning for this first point. The whole countryside is open to you. This is Abram speaking to Lot. Take your choice of any section of the land you want and we'll separate. If you want the land to the left, then I'll take the land to the right. If you prefer the land to the right, then I'll take the land to the left. So Lot took a long look at the fertile plains of Jordan Valley in the direction of Zor. The whole area as well uh, was well watered everywhere like the garden of, of the Lord in the beautiful land of Egypt. 
And verse 11 says, Lot chose for himself the whole Jordan Valley to the east, underline east of them. And he went there with his flocks and servants and parted company with his uncle Abram. So Abram settled in the land of Canaan and Lot moved his tent to a place near Sodom and settled among the cities of the plain. Okay, so we pick up the story. The conflict is between the herdsmen, two wealthy men with plenty of their wealth in these days weren't necessarily gold and silver, though Abram had plenty of gold and silver. This, their wealth was really found in their livestock. Livestock requires land. Amen. And so, and so that, that's where their wealth was. The problem was they didn't have enough land to support them. So there was an issue. They, they started to fight. The, the herdsmen started to fight with each other. You're taking up too much space. No, you're taking up too much space. You're not leaving enough water. No, you're not leaving enough water. They start to fight. Now watch this. The point, point number one is, is know the value of your relationships. Abram hears about the conflict. He doesn't shrink back like a passive communicator. He doesn't run in like an aggressive communicator and start a worse fight. He comes in like an assertive communicator and he comes to Lot and he says, hey, listen, I'm fully aware that our herdsmen are fighting. There's an issue. He addresses it. He calls it what it is. He doesn't hide behind it. He says, there's an issue. I identify the issue that we're having a land issue. But I want you to understand something. I value you more than I value our stuff. Are you seeing this? Abram walks in with the right type of communication. He all of a sudden puts a value on Lot. And it determines, because he valued Lot, it determined how the conversation was going to go. Are you seeing this this morning? Shake your head, do something to acknowledge that you're seeing this. He valued the relationship more than the stuff. Was there an issue with the stuff? Absolutely there was an issue with the stuff. You got to be real about it. We're fighting over something. There's something that's not right. We just don't pretend that there's no problems. That's just being loony. Amen? If there's an issue, address it. There is an issue. Abram comes to Lot. He says, listen, buddy, you're way more valuable to me than this thing, than this land, than this stuff. Now watch how Abram addresses the problem. Who's, who's the head honcho? Abram is. Who's following who? Well, Abram's following God. Lot's following Abram. Would you be okay to say that Abram's in charge? I mean, Abram's in charge. Right? Would you say it would be fair if Abram took the land that he wanted first? Yes, it would be absolutely fair. But watch how he handles the situation. He says, I'll tell you what, our relationship is so valuable, you choose. You take what you want, and I'll take the rest. That's a big deal. Because not only did he say that Lot was more valuable than the stuff, but he proved it by what he did. You see, you got to be careful that your, your voice matches your actions. Because <laughs> you can say, hey, you're valuable to me, and then do something under the table or do something to slight somebody, and they go, well, that don't feel like value to me. Right? So Abram says, tell you what, bro. You want the left, I'll take the right. You want the right, I'll take the left. You choose first. Could you say that Abram was a big boy? <laughs> Would you say that he's the more mature one in the bunch? Would you say he had a good perspective of conflict? He says, you choose, and I'll take the opposite. Now watch what happens in all of this. So Lot, Lot, I mean, he doesn't, he doesn't come back and say, oh, no, Uncle Abram. No, I could never do that. You take the first choice. He doesn't do that. He wasn't who Abram was. You got to remember, he's following Abram, but Abram's following God. Big difference in following man than following God. Lot says, okay, you're going to give me mine? I'm going to go get it. <laughs> come on. <laughs> you ever open up your house to somebody and they come in and took over? You ever offer somebody something and they took the whole thing? <laughs> Good thing we don't share stories in church. Huh? <laughs> Lot goes and he picks the choicest piece of land. And the Bible says that he takes his herds and his tents and he moves them onto that land. Then we pick up the story, watch this, because I want you to see what happens on the other side of good conflict. 
Verse 12, it says, So Abram settled in the land of Canaan, and Lot moved his tents to the place near Sodom and settled among the cities of the plain. Verse 14, After Lot had gone, the Lord said to Abram, Now watch this. Look as far as you can see in every direction. North, south, east, and west. Well, hang on a second. Lot went east. Didn't he? Lot got to choose. He chose east. That's what Lot chose. But that's not what God chose. God says to Abram, I want you to look as far as you can see in every direction, north, south, east, and west. I'm giving all this land as far as you can see to you and your descendants, uh, to you and your descendants as a permanent possession. And I will give you so many descendants that like the dust of the earth, they cannot be counted. Go and walk through the land in every direction for I am giving it to you. Big difference between you choosing something and God giving you something. Amen. When God gives you a piece of land, baby, it's yours. Right? It's yours. Abraham receives a blessing on the other side of handling the conflict right. You see, but here's the struggle. Here's where we struggle. I just want to get real with you this morning. This is where we struggle. We like stuff too much. Don't we? Come on, get real this morning. You like your stuff. I like my stuff. Somebody come on my land, they gonna, it's not going to be pretty. I like my stuff. I'll be honest with you. But sometimes we like our stuff so much that we can't even show the goodness of God to other people. And Abram had a bigger picture of the situation and he valued the relationship so much that he said, hey, listen, bro, I'm not worried about it. God's my provider. This land isn't my provider. You take what you want. I know God's going to take care of me. Say, that's big boy stuff right there. That's big boy stuff. Come on, that's where we need to be as believers. Where we go, you know what, I'm not going to take this personally. I'm not going to get offended. I'm not going to try to prove to you that I'm the boss and you're not. And I'm not going to tell you you need to submit because you're younger than me and you're following me. I'm not throwing all that in your face. I'm going to be a big boy about the whole situation. Okay, I love you so much. I'm not going to fight about this. You take what you want. A little different perspective, huh? Yeah, but, 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 but pastor, but pastor, but you don't know. I mean, I, I worked hard for this. I'm the one God called out. I'm the one with the promise. I'm the one with this. Uh-huh. Yeah. And? Just do the right thing. And then God will do his thing. <laughs> Amen. All you got to worry about is doing the right thing. You do the right thing, then God will do his thing. I, I, that's preaching y'all I mean I don't know what else to say I mean that's just good stuff it wasn't even in my notes I mean whew, straight down from heaven I just I want you to notice something else that Abram did here Abram didn't let the situation stew some of you have been in some conflict with some relatives or some friends for a long time. And I want to tell you this morning, that's not good. Because God doesn't want us to make a gumbo and let it stew. He don't want us to, to let something brew up and just take our sweet old time with conflict. Right? What did Abram do? Abram heard there was a problem and he went and addressed the problem, right? When you quickly address the conflict, you shorten the window of opportunity the enemy gets to do something in your life. Come on, holler back. When, when, you get, when you get on top of it quickly, you tell the enemy, oh no, Jack, you're not coming in here. I love this person so much. I'm going to take up the space. I'm going to shorten the window for the enemy to come and get in the middle of this thing. I'm not leaving room for the enemy. So when there's conflict with me and my wife, I am responsible. She is responsible to settle the conflict. Right? The longer we leave the window open, the more the enemy gets in the middle and works. Oh, this is good stuff. I'm saving your marriage right now. Come on, listen to me. You got to shorten the window. Say, I ain't got time. You ain't got time to be fighting with your wife. 
I'm a lover, not a fighter. I would rather be her lover than her fighter. Okay, am I in the right church this morning? I mean, she's soft and tender, and God made her to a beautiful creation, and I just like to touch her, and I like to be next to her. I don't like to be fighting with her. There's no pleasure in fighting. Now, we've been married for 21 years, dated for four before that. Oh, don't, don't clap yet. We got a long way to go. We still getting started. God's still working. <laughs> I ain't about to sit here and say, I got it all together. I promise you. Because then the next fight's going to come and it ain't going to be pretty. <laughs> Amen. I'm going to stay humble. We got 21 years. And praise God, I got a long way to go. I heard about, did a funeral the other day. A guy was married for 60 years. I'm thinking, I got a long way to go. But we got in a fight the other day. And I'm not proud of it. But after 21 years, we've learned how to get on top of it quickly. You see, it's funny, the longer you've been married and the, and the more aggressive you get with working on conflict, the more you start to realize, we're fighting about this. I mean, like this, like this is the biggest issue right now. And so I love my wife and God made us one and we're, we're together in this holy matrimony. Come on, somebody, right? And this little thing right here gets in between us. So we're learning now how to identify when this shows up. You see in this? And we're both, listen, it's responsibility on both parties. We're both being responsible enough to say, you know what? I'm not letting this get between us. That means that when my wife leaves her shoes in front of the door, I don't get mad no more. I've learned the art of sweeping things to the side. It's better to be happy with your wife and than to be fighting with your wife over some shoes in the door. This ain't getting in between us no more. Am I preaching to the right church? It's not worth it. Why? Because I value our relationship way more than I value those tennis shoes left up in the wrong place. Now, she's got her own issues she's got to work through with me because I'm not perfect. It's a good thing you're sitting down. I tend to make several piles of dirty clothes. I don't know why. I just do because I got this. So this is my thinking. I got some clothes over here. They're slightly dirty. Like I wore them once, you know, but I like for my stuff to last for a while. So I'll wear them three or four times. If you, if you have a meeting with me every day of the week, you'll see I wear, sometimes I wear the same clothes all week. You might think that's gross. I don't perspire when I do church work. Now, if I cut grass, then brothers got to go to the washing machine, Right. I'm sorry, I, evidently I just grossed you out. It's like, I'm not having lunch with pastor. He stank. He, you know, hey, man, I got the funkiest pastor in town. I'm about, maybe, maybe you're thinking I'm going to buy this brother some clothes. Here's your sign. I'm joking. I done lost my point. I got all kind of piles of clothes that she has to contend with. But listen to me. Our relationship is worth more than this stuff. Amen? I value our relationship more than I value the thing we're fighting over. God, that's good. That ain't worth nothing compared to this relationship. Abram handles it right. He gets on top of the conflict early, shortens up the window for the enemy to cause more damage. He said, I'm not leaving room for the enemy to work. You know, the Bible actually says that before the sun goes down, you need to settle your issues with your brothers. In fact, it even goes on to say, if you're going to the altar to make a sacrifice, you need to put your sacrifice down and go take care of the situation with your brother because your sacrifice ain't going to mean nothing if your relationship ain't no good. Can't be good with God if you're bad with people. Can't be good with God if you're bad with people. Right? God loves relationships. He wants them to be healthy. Let me tell you why. Because as a believer, as a Christian, you're God's reflection to the planet of him. You get to reflect God to mankind. Lost, found, dead, alive, it doesn't matter. You get to be God's reflection to a lost and dying world. That's why it's so important. Amen? So point number one, know the value 
of your relationships. You need to place a value on them. I challenge you to think about your relationships today and think about the value that you place on them. Because here's what's funny. When you get married, when you're getting married, man, man, I did a wedding last night for my, my, my godchild. I was up till, I didn't get home till 11, almost 11 o'clock. Party like it's 1999. Come on, somebody. I had lemonade and chicken strips. What? Had a full-on hangover this morning. But when you're getting married, you're both each other's priority. Right? Come on, this is going to be some good stuff right here. The funny thing is, is after year one, two, three, somehow the value decreases. And, and the studies show that we go, instead of trying to woo her, we get focused on trying to provide for her. And then we end up sacrificing the priority in our life to provide for that priority, and we chase other things. I just saved somebody's marriage right there. It's true, though. The value comes down if we're not careful. Amen? It happens to all of us. Listen, nobody's exempt. I'm not saying that's you and you need to get right. I'm not saying that. I'm saying it happens to all of us. But here's the good news. If you can devalue, you can revalue. Amen? You can put back into perspective where your relationships are. Conflict is not about who wins. It's about who is willing to address it and settle it first. Let me give you a a very good example. If you fight with your wife and you convince her that she's wrong and you're right, did you really win? (laughs) Even the women said, no, they don't win. (laughs) They don't win. (laughs) So number one, know the value of your relationships. Number two, sometimes you have to reposition people in your life. And I want you to get this one because this one's big. Sometimes you have to reposition people in your life. Go with me to Genesis chapter 21. Abram has gone from being called Abram to Abraham. And he got himself into a situation. He has a child for a maidservant who he took on as a wife. And now he's got a child with his wife, Sarah, and there's a problem. The two can't exist together and there's a problem. So watch this, chapter 21, verse 8. Sometimes you have to reposition people in your life. Verse 8, when Isaac grew up and was about to be weaned, Abraham prepared a huge feast to celebrate the occasion. But Sarah saw Ishmael, the son of Abram and her Egyptian servant Hagar, making fun of her son Isaac. Come on, mamas, you don't make fun of my baby. Right? So so she turned to Abram and demanded. (laughs) She didn't ask nicely. The Bible says she demanded. Mamas can demand, can't they? She demanded, get rid of that slave woman and her son. He He is not going to share the inheritance with my son Isaac. I won't have it! Exclamation mark. Woo! See, that's the perfect opportunity for a fight right there, right? I mean, listen, when mama's mad, everybody's not not happy. Mama ain't happy, you ain't happy. She said, listen to me, Abraham. Come on, you've all had this conversation with your wife. Don't act like you did. Listen to me, boy. This ain't gonna happen. And he's freaking out because like Ishmael's his blood son too. Right? Can you say stuck in the middle? I mean, Ishmael's his blood son, Isaac's his blood son, and Sarah's his wife. Exactly. Oh, Lord. Watch this. So Abraham does what every man should do. He goes to God about the problem. Wouldn't you agree? That's a good thing to do, but sometimes you've got to be ready for what God's going to tell you. Watch this. This upset Abraham very much because Ishmael was his son. But God told Abraham, do not be upset over the boy, your servant. Do whatever Sarah tells you. I I figured all the ladies would have been like, whoop, 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 whoop. You see, God told you, do what I say. 
You try to fix people up and, and, and hook them up through scripture. I mean, I'm like giving you a position through scripture and you're just like, mm-hmm. Okay, let's try that again. Watch, watch what Abraham does when he prays. Do not be upset over the boy or your servant. Do whatever Sarah tells you to. That's weak. Yeah. I'm a, maybe I need this. Let's see. I'm going to aim this way. How about if I aim this way now? Okay. Because they seem to have had, they, they got it. Do whatever your wife says to do. Okay. Let's just move on. <laughs> do whatever Sarah tells you for Isaac is the son through whom your descendants will be counted. But I will also make a nation of the descendants of Hagar's son because he is your son too. So watch how God communicates with him. God doesn't kick Ishmael to the curb like Sarah is. God says, I'm going to bless you through Isaac and I'm going to bless you through Ishmael. You see in this? So God gives Abraham a promise for Isaac and he gives Abraham a promise for Ishmael. Say, that's good. Now watch. But I will also make a nation of the descendants through Hagar's son because he is your son too. Verse 14. So Abraham got up early the next morning, prepared food and a container of water and strapped them to Hagar's shoulders. Then he sent her away with her son, with their son, and she wandered aimlessly in the wilderness of Beersheba. Some of you are thinking, dang, Abraham, that's cold. Some of you think, how could you do that, man? You kicked your son to the curb. It all depends on how you look at it. How you see in it. Because you see, if you're in a position where you think conflict shouldn't happen to us, you're getting offended by this. But if you're mature enough to understand that conflict's going to happen and God can turn and do something through conflict at any time, then you're going to look at it a little bit differently. What was God doing? God was repositioning Hagar and Ishmael in Abraham's life. If she stays with Ishmael in the camp with Sarah and Isaac, there's going to be a continual battle between them. It ain't going to get better. So Abram had to reposition her in his life. And listen to me clearly. Some of you have been attached to people for too long. And the Lord's been trying to tell you to reposition them in your life, but you're not listening because you think to reposition them or to set some boundaries is a bad thing. No, no, no. It's not a bad thing. If it's done right. Notice how Abraham handled it. He gave them provisions and he sent them on their way. He didn't kick them out with nothing. It's all how you handle it. Say, it's how you handle it. It's how you handle it. God doesn't want you to grow with some people sometimes. Sometimes he's, he's wanting to bless you and bless your life, but he can't pour it out on you because he don't want the person that you're attached to to get what belongs to you. Chew on that for a little while. <laughs> sometimes God wants to reposition you because you need some space to grow. You need some space to prosper. Sometimes you got to get out from underneath somebody's voice. Did a wedding last night for my, my godchild and, and the, his, the parents. We did premarital counseling. We had to deal with, I had to deal with issues with the parents. Because the parents were overbearing. And they were just trying to do it out of love. I mean, they just wanted them to be launched out the right way. And I, I get that. I get it. But it was overbearing. And Father, the last time we had premarital counseling, I said to him, I said, listen to me, son. You need to stand up and be a man. Because until you stand up, they're going to continue to speak into your life. It's time. Come on. The Bible's clear. It's time to be your own man. The Bible says, and a, and a, and a, and a man will leave his father and mother and cling to his spouse. Now, that's the most important relationship in your life next to the one with Jesus is the one with your parents until you're married. And even God says you got to get away from that. Why? Because I want to grow you up. You're going to be a man. You're going to be a woman. It's time for you to grow on your own a little bit. Well, is this making sense? So sometimes you got to reposition people in your life because God don't want you to grow with them anymore. 
Sometimes you've got to reposition in your life because the people that are in your life are so dependent on you that they can't hear from God. Anybody got some people that suck off of you a little bit? Every time they got a problem, they're calling you. Next time they call you, you say, you need to talk to God before you call me. Have you talked to God about this? No. Well, then hang up the phone and talk to God because, yeah, I ain't God. Right? Is there anything wrong with that? Oh, this seems so mean. Is it mean that you're pushing them into a place where they have to have a relationship with God and you're not no longer God in their life? Watch this. Watch this. So Hagar, she takes off with Ishmael. And the Bible says she wandered aimlessly in the wilderness of Beersheba. This may not be on the screen, but I'm going to read it to you anyway. When the water was gone, she put the boy in the shade of a bush. Then she went and sat down by herself a hundred yards away. I don't want to watch my boy die, she said, as she burst into tears. But God heard the boy crying, and an angel of God called to Hagar from heaven. Hagar, what's wrong? Do not be afraid. God has heard the boy crying as he lies there. Go to him and comfort him, for I will make a great nation from his descendants. So God opened Hagar's eyes, and she saw a well full of water. She quickly filled her water container and gave the boy a drink. And God was with the boy as he grew up in the wilderness. He became a skillful archer, and and he settled in the wilderness of Paran. His mother arranged for him to marry a woman from the land of Egypt. They made it. They made it. But immediately she goes from Abraham being her resource and her God to now she's in a wilderness with nothing left. Come on, how many of you God found you when you had nothing left? Sometimes you got to have nothing left before you'll hear God. Am I in the right church? He, he pushed her out. He repositioned her. He put up boundaries in his life because if he would have left her there, there would have been a constant battle that he'd always had to deal with and he would have missed out on the plans God had for his life. Right? So he repositions her. She gets out on her own now. She's not dependent on him anymore. Watch this. All of a sudden, she's got a relationship with God. All of a sudden, she sees what she never saw before. She was standing right next to a well. You see, sometimes you can get so dependent on other people that you can't see the provision that God's put in your life. Standing right next to you. Come on, is this helping anybody? It was a good thing. Because you see, God said to Isaac, I'm going to make a great nation out of Isaac. And God said to Ishmael, I'm going to make a great nation out of Ishmael. The problem was the space in between. God repositioned them so that they would have room to prosper. Come on, this is good stuff right here. There was nothing wrong with Hagar and Ishmael. So just because you're in a conflict with somebody doesn't mean that they're wrong and you're right. I've never counseled somebody who who one person was 100% wrong and the other person was 100% right. Everybody's had a percentage of something wrong. Come on, you know this is truth this morning. So just because I'm in a conflict with you doesn't mean that you're wrong and I'm right. Doesn't mean that God loves me and he doesn't love you. It means that he's a child of God and I'm a child of God and God has plans for both of us. And if he has to reposition us to fulfill his plans, then he will do so. Right? So God blesses Ishmael and Hagar and he blesses Sarah and Isaac. You see it? Conflict can be a good thing. You don't believe that yet. That's okay. We're going to get there. Conflict can be a good thing because it can reposition us to grow. Sometimes boundaries are the best prevention for future conflict. Some of you have been riding on the drama train with people for too long. Come on, you know I'm right. You've been dealing with somebody's stuff for too long. When are you going to put them off the train? Just saying. Sometimes boundaries are the best prevention for future conflicts. God gives a promise to Hagar and to Ishmael. 
Think about Abraham in that moment. I got the one son here and the one son there. And I got to push this one out. And I love this one. I love this one. You think he was worried about what was going to happen to Ishmael? I wonder what that first night was like for him. I wonder if he ran out of food. I wonder if he got attacked by something. I'm not saying it's easy to push people into a, a, a new position in your life. I'm not saying that. I've been repositioned. God took me from my family and brought me here where I have no family because he's doing something new in my family. Amen. And that was not pretty. It was not fun. It was very emotional and very drastic. And it hurt. There was a lot of pain and all that. But listen to me clearly. God is bigger than your pain. He's bigger than the pain you'll go through when he repositions your life. Amen. I promise you from my own experience, just do it and watch God do what he's going to do. I believe we get to choose how we view conflict. And I believe it's important how we see it. You could look at this situation with Abraham and you can make one of two statements. Oh my God, we just got pushed out. Oh my God. Oh, it's the end of the world. Or you can make this statement. We just got pushed out and praise God. We got room to grow now. You don't have to take everything personally. You realize that? You don't have to take everything personally. Jesus said in the New Testament, people are going to come after you like they came after me. But they're coming after you because of me. Don't take it personal. Oh my God, people hate me. No, they don't hate you. They hate the provision of God in your life. That makes sense. So it's all how you view conflict. So how you view conflict determines how you handle it. So number three, last point. Conflict sets the stage for grace. Conflict sets a stage for grace. Abraham settles in the land of Canaan, the Bible says. And he just keeps on prospering, prospering, and prospering. And God does some amazing things in his life. And he settles in this land and there's a king that's over the land and his name was Abimelech. And King Abimelech sees how much God is blessing Abraham. And he comes to him one day and he says, hey, Abraham, I see that God's hand is on you. Would you make a covenant with me? So basically he comes to Abraham and says, hey, look, can we make a little promise here? I see you're getting bigger and more blessed and stronger all the time. Would you just make sure that we stay loyal with each other and that you don't run over me? Can I tell you that's how he said it? So he comes to Abraham. He's the king of the land. He comes to Abraham and says, hey, can we make an agreement? Like, you promise not to mess with me? And Abraham says, yes, I'll make that agreement with you. And so they make what the Bible calls a covenant, which is not supposed to be broken. So in that meeting, they make the covenant. Everybody's happy. Abraham goes, hey, listen, I got an issue. He's not passive. He's not aggressive. He's assertive. Hey, I got an issue. Okay, what's your issue? Your herdsmen are running my herdsmen away from the well that I dug. That's my well. But your guys are running my guys away. So we agreed that I'll be loyal to you and that I won't overtake you and I won't hurt you. I want you to agree that that's my well. And Abimelech goes, I never heard of such a thing. I'll take care of that. I didn't know that was going on. Abraham says, okay, I'm going to give you seven of my best sheep to make sure that this is my well. You got that? Remember that story because it happens again. So time goes on. Abraham continues to grow. God continues to bless him. Finally, Abraham dies. Isaac takes over and God's hand seems to be twice as much on Isaac as it is on Abraham. And I mean, this guy's becoming filthy rich in, in those standards of those times. And so Isaac's just prospering and prospering and prospering. And Abimelech is still alive. And Abimelech comes to Isaac one day and he says, hey, 
you're getting so big, we can't handle you. You got to get off my land. At the same time, Abimelech's herdsmen are going to Isaac's wells and taking them, making statements like, that's my water. Watch this. He names the wells. It's important to understand the names of these wells. Now watch this in chapter 26. I'm going to bring it to a close in just a minute. Verse 19. Isaac's servant, servants also dug wells in the Gerar Valley and discovered a, a well of fresh water. But then the shepherds from Gerar, Abimelech's shepherds, came and claimed the spring. This is our water, they said. And they argued over it with Isaac's herdsmen. So Isaac named the well Essek, which means argument. So that well gets the name argument. Isaac's men then dug another well, but again, there was a dispute over it. So Isaac named it Sitna which means hostility. So that well gets named hostility. So we got a well-named argument and a well-named hostility. And abandoning that one, Isaac moved on and dug another well. This time there was no dispute over it. So Isaac named the place Rehoboth, which means open space. Watch this. For he said, at last the Lord has created enough space for us to prosper in this land. Are you seeing it? At last, God has given us enough space to prosper in this land. What happened to Isaac? He got repositioned. It happens to good people too, yeah. He got pushed out. They took his well. Did he get sucked into a fight? What did the devil want? The devil wanted him to start a fight with Abimelech and that the two would go to war. Isaac was bigger than that. He valued the relationship more than that. He said, okay, I'm going to name that one argument. And he moves on, digs another one. They come and take that one. That one's name is hostility. And he moves on. And he's getting repositioned the whole time. Finally, he digs a well. Nobody contends over it. He goes, ha, finally, I'm going to call this one open space. Because now we got some room to prosper. You seeing this? So it's pretty amazing. He's getting repositioned. Why? Why is God repositioning Isaac? Could it be because Isaac can't grow that close to Abimelech? You got to remember that conflict sets the stage for grace. Conflict doesn't have to be a bad thing. It can set a stage for grace. If there's no conflict, then there needs to be no grace. You and I were born into conflict. You were born a sinner, an enemy of God. Because of what Jesus did on the cross, you get to go from being an enemy to a friend now. Jesus dealt with the conflict with grace. You see in it? So conflict sets the stage for grace. Now watch what happens in verse 26. Remember the story. One day, King Abimelech come from, came from Gerar with his advisors. Uh, we have come, we have come, uh, Isaac says, why have you come here? Isaac asked, You obviously hate me since you kicked me off your land. He doesn't squawk back from it. He doesn't hide from it. He's pretty clear in his communication, right? Why are you coming here? Clearly you hate me. You kicked me off your land. They replied, we can plainly see that the Lord is with you. So we want to enter into a sworn treaty with you. Sound familiar? Let's make a covenant. Swear that you will not harm us. Just as we have never troubled you. We have always treated you well. And we sent you away from us in peace. Now, come on. You see, there's some people you fight with, they will never acknowledge they're wrong. They'll go to the grave thinking they're right. Seriously. There's been people in the the cemetery that died thinking they were right. We've never treated you bad. We never. Really? Well, he told, he told Abraham, I didn't know nothing about the well. Watch lots. Watch how conflict sets up the stage for grace. Watch this. And now look at how the Lord has blessed you. So Isaac prepared a covenant feast to celebrate the treaty. And they ate and drank together. Early the next morning. 
They each took a solemn oath not to interfere with each other. Then Isaac sent them home again and they left him in peace. Did Isaac bring up any of the issues? Say no. It wasn't necessary. It wasn't necessary. Isaac saw the bigger picture. He saw what God was trying to do. He didn't take it personal and he didn't let Abimelech suck him into something that he didn't belong into. Some of you got a bad problem of letting people suck you into arguments that you don't belong into. I got sucked in one time. Uh, My friends bought a vacuum cleaner called a Thermax. And anytime a friend comes to you and says, hey, man, I got this interesting product and I got a salesman that'll come and spend some time at your house. Will you give them like two hours on a Thursday night? If somebody says that to you, say no and take off running. (laughs) Hear me out. Run. Because I said yes. And two hours later, I bought a $1,200 vacuum cleaner. Yeah. Idiot. (laughs) Sucker. I got sucked into something I didn't, I wasn't supposed to have. Now the thing lasted for 20 years and it was the best vacuum cleaner on the market. But dear God, I could have bought a whole lot of cheap vacuum cleaners for $1,200. Right? The point is don't let people suck you into something that you don't need to be in. Isaac was bigger than the conflict. Isaac was bigger than Abimelech. Isaac said, you know what? I see what you're trying to do here. I'm not going to get into a fight with you. I'm not going to prove myself right and you wrong. I'm just going to take the high road. I'm going to give you some grace. We've been good to you, Isaac. We never did you anything wrong. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Bless you. Oh, may the Lord bless you. In your comings and your goings, <laughs> may the Lord bless you. Gave him grace, right? Gives him grace. Now watch this. He gives him grace and he sends him on his way. There was no need for a fight. There was no need for a conflict. Isaac already got his space, the space that he needed to prosper. You see in this? He's already got it. He's got room to grow. He's blessed already. He didn't need to be right. Verse 32. That very day, Isaac's servants came and told him about a new well they had dug. Listen to their excitement. We found water, they exclaimed. So Isaac named the well Sheba, which means oath. And to this day, the town that grew up there is called Beersheba, which means the well of the oath. Conflict sets the stage for grace. Grace sets the stage for blessings. You see that? We need conflict in our life. 